Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. There is a story for everyone here, because every story matters. Welcome everyone to the Storybox. This is the place to be if you are a lover of stories, learning new and interesting things, and if you want to grow abundantly. My name is Jay Phantom, and I believe it's my purpose to help you realize your worth and become the greatest and best version of you possible. I am grateful that you're here today. Now let's journey into the story box together and hear more about whose story will be unboxed today. Be fearless like Macy and choose to embrace all that you are so others will see that different is truly a great place to be. That, my friends, was said by my guest today, who is none other than Heather Avis. Now, for those of you that don't know who she is, you're in for another real treat because she is the founder and chief visionary officer at The Lucky Few, a social awareness brand on a mission to make a more inclusive and loving world with an emphasis on shifting the Down syndrome narrative. She's the author of the new children's book, Different, a great place to be, available anywhere books are sold. Go and get a copy of that. She runs the Lucky Fuse hit Instagram account, which has over 117,000 followers on there. She's also the author of the book and co-host uh, podcast by the same name, The Lucky Few. She's a former education specialist teaching high school students, but Heather is also a mother to three adopted children, two with Down syndrome and has been interviewed on numerous media outlets, including the Today Show, Hallmarks, Home and Family, and written for Time Magazine as well. She lives in South Southern Carolina with her husband, Josh, and her three kids, uh, Truly, August, and Macy. I love those names. But if you guys want to know more about this incredible woman's book, uh, it's called Different, A Great Place to Be. And Macy is a girl who's a lot like you and me, but she's also quite different, which makes it a great place to be. With kindness, grace, and bravery, Macy finds her place in the world, bringing beauty beauty and laughter wherever she goes and leading others to find a light in the unique design of every person. Children are naturally aware of the differences they encounter in everyday life and relationships. They just need to be given tools to understand and appreciate what makes us different, permission to ask questions about it, and eyes to see and celebrate it in themselves as well as in those around them, which is why I believe 
that you guys should go and order a copy right now. All links are in the show notes below. This is an important message that I am passionate about spreading awareness on. It needs to be shared. And I've always said that if you want to change a generation, then educate the kids properly. And kids need to be told about this. This is an important issue that is happening all around us. And we wonder why so many kids don't know who they are or they can't really accept who they are. It's because we're all different. We're all unique. And that should be celebrated. It should be acknowledged and kids shouldn't have to feel pressured that or bullied even for the fact that they might be different to someone else. Okay, so please go and, and support uh, Heather and her cause um, by getting a copy of her book. Before you go, don't forget to leave a rating and review over on Apple Podcasts and subscribe to YouTube, Apple, Spotify, you name it, wherever you get your podcasts from. That'd be absolutely fantastic. Different. It's a great place to be. And we're going to be different today in this story box because we're going to embrace and celebrate the fact that we all are different, that we all are unique and special. And we're going to listen and learn from the incredible story of none other than Heather Avis. Thank you. What a thrill to be here with you. It's a, a thrill to have you here on the show. I mean, when I was given your 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 title of the book and all your information, I was like instant yes. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. I didn't want to pass on this opportunity because <laughs> I feel like this is a message that needs to be shared uh, far and wide. But before we dive into your new book, all your work that you're currently doing, I normally start off all my conversations with one question I think you might like, which is what does success look like for you? <laughs> I laugh because it feels a little bit like a trick question. Like you've looked into my soul <laughs> <laughs> or talked to my therapist last week. Um, <laughs> it, and it feels like a trick question because not, not a trick question. What an appropriate question I should say. Um, because I, since becoming a mom my, to my oldest daughter, Mason, who has Down syndrome, my ideas of success have been completely jumbled and twisted and turned around. And um, there's a rebuilding that takes take, that is taking place that I think is forever in the works. Not like there won't be a landing place, but I always say, you know, Macy, our, our daughter Macy has changed the measuring sticks in which, which I measure everything, including how I measure success. So um, I don't know how to answer the question was what is success mm. to me? Yeah. Mm. I, I don't know that I want to answer that with the straightforward answer. Obviously I think that there's a, I think that there's this desire and need to attach our worth um, to our successes. And I think that it's more for me, um, a separation of those two parts. And, and so I would just say, you know, the thing that gives a human worth is breath in their lungs and a heart beating in their chest. And that is enough for them to come into the world and expect the same dignity as people who are quote successful. Um, 
So yeah, I, I'm, I am not going to give a super direct answer. <laughs> oh, I like it. And my follow-up question to that is, I think you answered it perfectly though, because you're right. A lot of people don't know their worth in society. And I think it's a massive, massive problem, especially among kids. I mean, I used to work with kids that had no idea. Uh, you'd ask them that very question and they wouldn't know. They wouldn't know how to answer you or they would, they would, a couple of them would be depressed mm. and you're thinking you're six years old and you're suffering through depression. Mm. And my question to you, Heather, is why do you think so many kids or young people, doesn't matter the age, why do you think we struggle with knowing our worth? Well, I think because of this false idea of what success should be. So what makes a person have value and worth? What is we have been taught and we have systems in place, successful systems <laughs> um, in place that have been teaching this idea that there is a best way to be. And that is what equals success. And most people can't ever reach that. And then once you do, there's a, there's another level, right? And so it's like jump through these five hoops and you've arrived. Now you are successful and then you get through the fifth hoop and there's five more hoops. Mm -hmm. And there's only ever going to be someone, this sounds bad, but there's always someone who's going to be better than you at a thing that you are great at, right? It's just going to be that way. And so um, it so much of it is tied to like the idea of comparison. Mm -hmm. And we just have created this false idea that your value and worth is tied to what society says you should be able to do mm -hmm. or how you should be able to act or where, how you should look. Mm -hmm. um, and if you can meet that criteria, then you are worthy of, I don't know, a space at the table, which is an overused phrase, but I feel like it's still a very powerful and important phrase or a space in a classroom or a space in a boardroom or a space in a church, mm. you know? And if you don't, if you want those to be in those spaces, you have to, if you want that worth, you have to be a certain way. Mm. Um, and that line of thinking, I mean, there's lots of tied, like it's that idea of like toxic positivity. Um, the idea that, yeah, that work harder, do better, be more. It just is, it's not working out for anybody, <laughs> right? No, I, I feel the same way. And I think that society conditions a lot of people to chase satisfaction rather mm -hmm. than fulfillment. And everyone's sort of questioning, well, what really is fulfillment? Is it me going after this particular job that, I feel like I am enough if I do the job. And if I don't have that job, then what does that actually mean? But I've been in areas of my life where I've wanted to be like, for example, I've wanted to be a filmmaker. And when people would ask me the question, so uh, what job do you do? And I say, I'm a filmmaker or I, I do film. And I would immediately attach that to my purpose or my worth in the fact that if I didn't do it, then who would I be? I wouldn't have an answer for him. So in order for me to have an answer for that person that asked me that question, I have to say, oh, I was authentically, because I believed it at the time, that it was film. But mm -hmm. 
But then when that gets taken away from a person, then what's left? <laughs> so, yeah. and we don't have, for young people, they don't have the education behind them. They, they just crumble. And then yeah. we wonder why so many young people struggle with depression, anxiety, stress, uh, not being happy, you know, mm -hmm. all these issues that stem up because of false conditionings that have been around for goodness knows how long. And yeah. I love how you are trying to change that. And mm. it, it's really powerful. But have you ever struggled with knowing your worth growing up? Um, yes, that I joked a little bit, but I wasn't joking. I'm literally in therapy for this. like, this is my main topic with my therapist. Mm. And, um, and that I've been working out because being somebody who has a platform, being a person who people are watching, putting my heart out there in words and my ideas and my thoughts and processing through life, like learning and growing in public space. Um, I've just set myself up for even more so questioning my value and my worth. And so I grew up in a home where my parents were so wonderful and loving and caring, and I did not need to be or do anything more. Um, I mean, I think as parents, as a parent now, I'm helping and hope I'm helping to foster my kids' desires and talents and giftings and, you know, helping them to be the best version of themselves. So my parents were doing that, but I didn't, there was no pressure for me to like be the best. I was in band, <laughs> like be the best on the flute or, um, and then I was, and then I was in cheer. Those were quite extremes in a school setting or like be the best cheerleader, or be the best, you know, as a writer, my parents, I didn't have that. And I'm really thankful for that foundation, but I found it with my peers and, um, I just never was cool enough in school. I was never, I was bullied in junior high, like really horrifically. And I just never could quite be enough, you know, I, and I, and then I could have as a, I think as a female, but I think it's across all gender identities. I, I wasn't skinny enough. I was too tall. My nose is too big. My hair is too curly, whatever it is. Um, and those ideas just followed me and I didn't even realize it up into being a parent, right. And bringing home a little girl who has down syndrome, um, and who walks outside my front door and the majority of the world says to her in so many ways, usually without words, you're not worthy to be here. Mm. And you, as you are, is not enough. And you're going to need to try real hard to be more like me um, if you want to be welcomed in this space, if you want to feel worth. So it, I know that was kind of like a rabbit trail, <laughs> a lot of things I impact there. But yes, there are moments I'm going to be 40 years old this year. And there are so many moments that I question my worth mm. in the in the spaces where I exist, for sure. So I'm 24. Now I probably mentioned this a lot of the time on, on most of my episodes that I am young, but I feel like it is important for people to understand that if you are young and you can learn this now, it's going to save you a lot of heartache later on. <laughs> Trust me. Yeah. Um, so for a, a young person at the moment that is going through a rough and difficult time at the moment for someone that is older and I feel like this is a good thing rather than a bad thing, but someone who has had their own journey 
with knowing their worth. And I, I guess I could, I, I could ask you, you're still having that conversation, but do you know your own worth now? And then my follow-up question would be, what advice would you give to a young person? Yeah. I, so I would say I do when it comes down to it, right? Like in my deepest heart of hearts in my gut, soul, mind, I know my worth and I have for years and yet I still, I think because of my occupation, honestly, <laughs> I still find myself um, wanting, wondering and questioning, but I can go back to that place, right? Like there's a foundation and anchoring that I, at this point in my life can, can go back to and work through it so that when I have those moments of feeling less worthy um, or feeling more insecure in something that 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 will happen less and less because of that anchoring. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of the journey I have been on and I'm on. And I mean, it's such a, it's a, it's a weird thing for me thinking about giving advice to young, to people who are younger, mostly when I think about myself when in my twenties, because I just needed to learn a lot myself. And I think that's just kind of how humans are set up. Um, we're going to look at, we're going to listen to advice. We're going to seek it out, but there's also a sense of like going through a thing mm. and getting to the other side that I think I needed that for me. Um, I think I'm kind of stubborn in that way though, too, but it's just like, if you can't believe it about yourself that you have worth, find someone who believes it about you and be around those people. Mm. Um, I think that's something that's really been instrumental for me is my daughter, Macy, right? Like going back to that, that there's this little girl that the world is questioning her worth and she's showing up knowing that she's rad. Like she's walking in a space totally uninhibited and not that, and she has a full range of emotion. She is fully human um, and experiences all the things that humans experience, but she also has a sense of knowing who she is and showing up in a space unashamedly that person. Mm. And it's beautiful and it's a lesson. And, and to take it to the next step, she shows up in that in a space and sees you and sees me and is totally okay with who you are. And not that she likes everybody, right? Again, she's fully human. And there are people that she's not going to prefer um, or people that she's not going to want, that she's not going to hit it off with, but she's never going to question their worth. She's never going to do that. Because, you know, you're, you're a person here you are and you are worthy of the space that you're in and you're worthy of what you have. So when I'm saying find people who see the worth in you, be around people, be around people with disabilities, you know, be around people with Down syndrome, be around people who maybe view the world and experience the world so different than you that you're bound to learn something that you would have missed otherwise. Um, and maybe that's the anchor that gets you to that place of, of seeing your worth, um, when you can see it in somebody else whose society has been questioning it and continues to do so. Changing your perspective around things that we have been taught for a very long time, that can happen. Mm -hmm. it, it comes when we make the choice to do something, I guess you could say that we never thought we would do to begin with. And that's what I did in, I think it was 2019. Yeah. 2019, early 2020 is 
I did something I never thought that I would do, and that was work with able-bodied people or disabled people with a disability. And it was a huge learning curve for me, but I absolutely loved every second of it. Uh, uh, there was one, one young guy and, and one young girl that they did have Down syndrome and we had these great conversations. <laughs> it was so great to see, but they, you're right, they never questioned, are they valuable? And the saddest part about it all, their family wouldn't show up. Mm-hmm. But that they had this sense of joy and realness of life. It was real. It was authentic. Yeah, you could tell it came from within, mm-hmm. and that's what I I learned and I took away and I appreciated so much about that experience because it changed my viewpoint. Like I've got nothing to be ungrateful for. I've got nothing mm-hmm. to complain about. You know, and at that period of time of my life. I was struggling with my worth and that helped me unpack a little bit more, helped me start to question, well, who says that I'm not enough? Mm-hmm. Most of the time that's usually me. It's my choice to beat myself down. But ultimately, and this is what I believe, that just being here right now, God made you you, mm-hmm. unique, to be special now we use that term loosely special you know like all that stuff which is wrong but you are special you're unique no one is like you imagine that for a second like that just blows my mind that people need to get it for themselves you know Mm -hmm. yeah yeah for sure and and that's i mean that is such a good word about like god made God made, you are an image bearer of God mm. as you are, not if you do A, B, C, and D, just like period, full stop, right? And um, people with disabilities are image bearers of God. Like Mason and I have a son, August, who has Down syndrome also. Mason and August bear the image of God as they are, not if they are more like me. And so what that says to me is, unless you're in relationship with somebody with Down syndrome, then you're missing out on the fullness of who God is. Mm. Um, and then that in return, you're, it makes it harder to see that image in yourself, right? If you're unable to see it in others. Mm. It's all very mysterious too. <laughs> it, it, it is. And, right. and you know, I, I love saying that God never makes mistakes. He, he always had a plan and a purpose. And then when we say that we aren't enough, we are literally throwing it back in God's face and saying, you created something that is bad, something that isn't good. But I don't know a God that does that at mm-hmm. all. I don't know if you do, but right, no. I literally don't. <laughs> so, and I think it's just you've got to start telling yourself every single day that you are enough. Otherwise, you'll fall into the trap of believing lies. Hundred percent. So easy to do that. Mm-hmm. I, I I've done it. I'm sure you've done it, Heather. But if it's a if it's a lesson that we can learn, most importantly, it's that you are enough. You always will be enough. So no, stop trying to change that for yourself. Like yeah, 
Uh, for sure. Yeah. And be around people who see it. Like, like I said before, be around people who see you as enough and who love you as you are. Mm. Um, you know, I, I say also and believe that it's super important to be in relationships with people who are very different than you. Those might be the very people who see that in you, but not, I don't say it's like cocoon yourself away from other people, but like your, your people, right? Like your people who know you. They, they'll have, make sure you're around people who are going to bring it back to, to like, Hey, I see that you're struggling with this, but I got you. Like you might not be able to see it, but I see it. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to see it for the both of us now until you can see it too. That's powerful. I think that's really important. And I mean, like tangibly. So if, if there's to, my, to a younger self, get off of social media, you know, not, you don't, not altogether. I get that it's, we live in a world in which that's unrealistic for most people, but um, it's not, doing us any favors and helping us feel good about ourselves. And it's been basically proven to be that, you know, so limit that. (laughs) It can be toxic. Like every single time you turn the news on or look at social media, there's always a story there that is dramatic enough to move our emotions that makes us feel like the world is absolutely crazy and horrendous. And somehow we equate that to, us being worthy of living in it. Like, right. It's, it's so interesting, but I love how you mentioned, you know, just get off it and be in nature, be present with people that yeah. you know, believe in you. I, I believe in that 100%. Did you ever think that you would be adopting kids with Down syndrome at all? No, no, I never did. You know, what's funny um, or interesting is my husband, his his mother worked in a special education classroom as they call it a paraprofessional, like a classroom aide, um, in in an elementary school. So he grew up around kids with disabilities his whole life. And he told me after we brought our daughter Mason home, he's like, I always had a feeling I have a child with down syndrome. And I've actually heard that from a lot of different people I've met over the years that they were like, I just, at one point in my life, I just knew, I knew this was going to, this is going to be, um, but no, I didn't have a, I didn't, I had a desire to adopt in like a, um, you know, unhealthy, like savior, I'm, you know, savior narrative when I was younger. Um, that's an incredibly toxic narrative in the adoption space, but I was never going to adopt a kid with down syndrome. I wasn't going to be a parent to a child with a disability. Mm. And then it all just kind of happened to me. It's a very long story. Um, I love stories. <laughs> I mean, I wrote an entire book about it before, <laughs> before the book we're talking about called the lucky few. Um, but it was just one, it was an opportunity we stepped into and it was, every step was terrifying. And then we brought our daughter home and there she was, she was three months old when she came home and um, very sick. She was on oxygen and lots of medication and had open heart surgery a month later. Um, And in all of that, sticking with the theme, she was very worthy (laughs) and she was worthy to be adored and cared for and to live a long, beautiful life. And so we somehow got to play a part in that. My husband and I get to play a part in that. Um, And this thing that seemed so unbelievably terrifying, this unknown became known and it wasn't scary anymore. And it was, and it was... I mean, the gift of my life. Mason's been the gift of my life. Not that my other kids are not 
a gift, but she was a catalyst for us to, for the change we needed in our worldview, you know, in the way that we see people in the way that we know God, she was a jumping off point for us for sure. I was reading a Bible verse the other day, how it was saying many are called, but few are chosen. And I love how you have a title of another book, The Lucky Few. <laughs> what has God taught you about him through your, your kids? I mean, like I mentioned earlier, and, and it is one of the biggest things is, is God's being an image bearer, you know, in all people. And um, we've had people in the church pray over our kids for healing from Down syndrome, which is incredibly um, problematic mm. and offensive. And if that's your knee-jerk reaction, maybe just spend a little time on your knees with the Lord <laughs> and a little <laughs> bit of time with people with disabilities. Mm. Um, so that really changed so much for us. Just seeing seeing God in them. And then it gives you just kind of a glimpse, a deeper glimpse into who God is because they're so different than me, <laughs> you know? Um, yeah. That idea that they just love really well in that they, they see the worth in themselves and they see it in others. And mm. um, that is life altering to witness and to get to learn alongside that and to do that, like to learn how to do that and to do it well. Um, they've opened my eyes to an, an awareness to the social injustices that exist so systemically around us. And the, you know, the fact that the majority of people in the world who get a Down syndrome diagnosis still choose to terminate. Um, it, it's like, I think there maybe, maybe would have been a time in my life where I could be like, okay, I can try to understand something like that. But, and this is not, this is not to like throw people who've made that decision to disregard them or um, to look at them as they are, they are also image bearers of God, right? Like they are also fully worthy human beings. Um, but there's gotta be such a brokenness in them in regards to how they see themselves to think that having a child with Down syndrome is not worth having. So I feel like I'm just keep going on here, like going off topic a little bit with your questions. You can always bring me back. Sorry. <laughs> no, no, it's, it's all right because I think you're answering it perfectly. I mean, God shows up in our life in many different ways and at many different times. And I love how you mentioned how people have tried to pray over and that's problematic <laughs> in, a, in many different ways. Um, I love the, the image bearing of God analogy. I think that is, that is true. What do you love the most about your kids firstly? And then secondly, what do you love the most about yourself? Um, I mean, it's, it's a little repetitive, the answer here, but again, I just love that my kids show up authentically as themselves or lack of inhibition. And, um, my middle daughter truly doesn't, I have, I have three kids. She doesn't have any disabilities or, um, health issues or special needs, but she also has her sister and brother as an example. 
And it's really cool watching her navigate the world too. She's a 10. So we're entering into adolescence and um, she just has a way of also thinking, seeing herself as pretty rad <laughs> because her older sister sees herself as rad and sees her sister that way, you know? And there's just such a acceptance really doesn't feel like it's a word that does justice to what, what I get to witness in my kids, but just like a, such a sense of acceptance, Mm. Um, like a, yeah, an embracing of who they are. Mm. I love that about them so much. And then the sec, the second part you asked me was what do I, what do I love the most about yourself to love the most about myself? Um, that's a lot. That's a much harder question to answer, isn't it? <laughs> I thought I'd give you the easy one first and then the hard one. <laughs> um, I, I love that I am mindful of others. Um, since I have been a little girl, I have been mindful. I've, I have noticed the underdog and felt burdened by the fact that that's happening to somebody else, that somebody else feels outcast or on the fringe. Since I was very young, I've been that. And so I love that I have, that God's given me that and also a skill set to step into that as an advocate and an ally, um, which is a, being an advocate and an, and an ally is no small task. Mm-hmm. And I'm grateful for the opportunity to step into that. I, I like that about myself, that I, that I'm an advocate and an ally. Mm. So what has been some of the challenges revolved around or has there been any challenges revolved around raising two kids with Down syndrome? Oh yeah. <laughs> so many challenges. Um, it, we continue to live in a world that questions their worth as soon as they step outside my front door. And I live in that world too. And so I've been inundated with, with this is how our kids should be. And so as soon as they enter my life, there's all these really incredible programs in place, like an early intervention program, um, people who are coming to the home and places that we can go to help us. And it's all, you know, government funded or we don't, we don't pay for any of it there. You can, there's stuff to pay for, but it's all just offered to us. Mm-hmm. And this incredible community coming alongside us to help us with our kids. But in that there is this sense of we're going to do physical therapy and speech therapy and occupational therapy and feeding therapy and all these different things. Um, and having to check myself over the years and realize, okay, when I'm doing, when I'm doing these things for my kids, is it so they are more like their typical peers? Um, so they're quote less down syndrome, which isn't a thing. And, and so that's really challenging in that I've had to change so much in that because I've been inundated with that mindset. I had, it's a complete shift of a mindset. That's hard, you know, for, for me. And I had to do that. And then my, like people in proximity and relationship with us had to do that. And then we enter into systems where my kids are not welcomed. They're not welcomed unless they fill in the blank. And so it, that is so hard. It's so challenging and it, and it never stops. Um, it's everywhere. It's our entire society 
has such disability, even being a part of our world is so new, you know, like in America, we've got things like, um, IDEA individuals with disabilities act and ADA, the American disability act, IDEA individuals with disabilities education, um, act. And those things are like, have been ratified as early as the seventies. Right. So we're up against a life lifetimes of this thinking that disability is wrong and bad and should be avoided. That is hard. That is hard. So it's entire systems that they're not, they're not broken. They were built in opposition to who my kids are. Mm. And these are the systems that they're expected to live and grow and thrive in. Um, it's hard work. <laughs> the system's broken. Like it needs yeah. to be changed. Yeah. Well, yeah. It, it's, it needs to be broken down because there's nothing to fix. It already was, it was built wrong. Right. So it's mm. not like we can fix it. We have to completely redo it. This like needs to be a destruction of destruction. So harsh, but like a destruction of a system so that it can be rebuilt in a way where people with disabilities have an equitable amount of space. Mm. Uh, I believe in that. <laughs> um, what have you learned? So you mentioned that when your kids step out of the front door, you're constantly facing a lot of negative viewpoints from people all the time. What has that taught you about number one, forgiveness, mm. and number two, about hate? Mm. That's good. Um, we are real big believers and you can't know what you don't know. Mm. And there's just grace. So there's just forgiveness and grace. I just am because I want people, because I need people to assume and believe the best in my kids, to see them as capable and as worthy. I have to also see that in others, right? So when somebody is within their ignorance or their lack of relationship to someone with Down syndrome or their lack of understanding, is offensive or even harmful towards my children. I have to believe it's because you can't know what you don't know. Mm -hmm. And I have to extend grace to them mm -hmm. um, and hope that there's opportunity for learning and growth, right? For, for them in the proximity that they have with my kids. Mm -hmm. um, what have I learned about hatred? Is that what the second question was? Yes. Yeah. I have never even thought about that. Um, I mean, there's a lot out there <laughs> and it's, and I think it always springs from fear of the unknown. There's just a fear of what you don't know. And I think that a um, trigger for it is having to admit that having to give up power um, when you've had a lot of it. Mm -hmm. And instead of saying, I would, I will transfer this power because I never should have had all this power to begin with um, to those who have had never had any power in the conversation mm -hmm. to say that can be real triggering. And that can kind of induce some hatred mm -hmm. towards I'm, that people. I'm currently in the process of writing a book about forgiveness. Mm -hmm. um, and it's been, it's been quite the journey actually learning from my own my own path and learning from others as well, 
how we have been able to arrive at the place of forgiveness at different levels. And what I've realized is we're all on the same journey of life. Mm. We all reach forgiveness at different points. And there's so many different paths that we can take. But in order for us to finally reach the place of forgiveness, we have to make the choice to arrive there. But the journey going towards it is not an easy one. Mm. It's, it's extremely difficult. And we have to face hate along the way. We have to face giving people grace. We have to face uh, so many different obstacles. But the moment we do arrive, there's peace, prosperity, fulfillment. And I, I talk about hate in the book and I spend quite a lot of time that our words, the things that we say, not necessarily straight out to somebody else, but in a dialogue, that is the most powerful weapon that we use. Like, you know, that old old saying, sticks and stones, break my bones, the mm. words that never hurt me. What a load of crap. Right. Like that, that in of itself has taught young people, especially, that words are never going to damage them, so why should I worry about them? Mm-hmm. You know, like, but... Anyway, I'll, I'm getting off on a, a long tangent. <laughs> I want to like scare it. everything back. But um, I, I believe that this is hatred is ultimately it can be cured, but it stops with us, mm. each and every one of us, saying that I need to understand. I need to do the work to understand someone. I need to remove my ego, my pride, and my ignorance and come alongside someone that may be different than I am and get to know them, have a conversation mm-hmm. with them, change your perspective around it. And then when you, when you take all that away and you look at it from, from that lens, so to speak, then you can truly know that you're always going to be enough. Yeah. So anyway, I went on a, a long spiel there. I liked it. <laughs> but, <laughs> yes and amen. I want to I want to steer the conversation with the the time we have left uh, to your book, different a great place uh, a great thing to be. Sorry, um, if I was to open the book right now and turn to any page or chapter in the book, which page or chapter, if it is chapter related, would you recommend that I turn to? Yes. So different, a great thing to be is a children's book. So there are not chapters, the picture book. Um, yeah. And so there will be a handful of pages. <laughs> I'm not sure how many pages actually, I actually don't have a, I have yet to have a real copy in my hand. Um, it's very soon here though, that they should be at my doorstep. Exciting. The page you should turn to, there's a page. Um, there's a little girl named Macy who is a lot like other kids, but she's also very different. And because of her differences, she's experienced some rejection from her peers. And when that happens, she doesn't give up. She instead keeps showing up and continues to show up in a new way, in a sense of almost like challenging her peers, like, hey, there's there's a better way to be. There's a different way to be. I'm um, giving them permission to embrace their differences as well because of the way she embraces hers. So there's a page, it's sort of towards the middle where all of the kids at the page prior were on a big floaty on a lake and Mason wanted to get on. And there was a sense of rejection. She's too different. She doesn't belong in that space. Mm -hmm. Um, And she shows up 
with a bunch of pool noodles. Do you guys, is that like a common thing or is that a, what, an American thing? Okay. <laughs> with a bunch of pool noodles in her hands and all of the kids get a pool noodle and together make a circle. Um, and I love the visual of that. I have a, I have a second nonfiction adult book I wrote called Scoot Over Make Some Room. And I have a chapter in it that's called Choose Circles Over Lines, mm. um, which my illustrator didn't know that. And so when she showed me this page, uh, I was blown away. And so there's Mason with all these kids and they've made a, a circle. So when you're in a circle, you can all see each other and you can't have understanding and knowing if you can't see somebody, right? And so they're all together and they can all see each other. Um, and that would be the page that I would hope you'd open to if you open to one page. <laughs> wow. I'm a, I'm a visual learner. So I love um, pictures. I feel like I, I, can, I learn and I take things away more from pictures. Mm. Gets my brain thinking the most. Um, so where, when I, I mentioned in the intro that people can buy it, um, I, I believe it goes on sale 29th of this month in June. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what do you hope or what are you praying for that this book achieves or, or goes, how far do you want it to go? I hope it goes very, very far. I'm, I mean, I'm hoping even in this conversation you're talking about, about worth and like, what would you tell someone in their twenties? Like, can we just rewind to the beginning mm -hmm. and what would you tell a child in the very beginning? And at the very beginning, it is, you are good and you are worthy. And the things about you that are different are great. So let's shift that narrative around different. Right. And so I would love for every kid ever to have moments when they are confronted with their difference and their reaction to that is positive because we have decided to shift the narrative around different and to see it as great and to notice it, to embrace it and to celebrate it in ourselves and others. So let's do that for all, for all the kids, you know, like let's give them that tool. And I, and, and I'm hopeful that adults and parents will glean from that as well. <laughs> Teachers and parents, right. And, in watching their children um, shift their idea around different to be something positive that they can do that in themselves as well. Mm, I hope so. And I have no doubt that it will go absolutely crazy. <laughs> I appreciate uh, if, that. Even though it is a children's book, but I've always said that if you want to change a generation, you educate the kids. Yep. And 100%. So kids are our future. We should be teaching them the right things. Yeah. Um, so my final question for you, Heather, this is my all-time favorite question. I ask everyone at the end. I apologize if I've gone over time. But uh, it's a hypothetical one, but I want you to imagine with me for a moment that you've been able to reach the age of 100. All your friends and your family have decided to put together a film for you of everything you've ever said and everything you've ever done. Don't ask me how in the world they got it all. We'll call it magic for the sake of argument. <laughs> but they've been able to get it and show it to you on your 100th birthday. What do you want that film to say and to show about your life? Um, I would want it to show and say that I saw others and loved them well um, because of and in spite of, right, all the things. And I actually, we talk about the phrase, you are enough a lot. And I would want it to say, I would want that to be said about me. Um, that I would say it about myself and believe it wholeheartedly and that everybody who ever was around me and knew me believed that about themselves as well. 
where can people find you, Heather, connect with you and, and buy a new book when it comes out? Yeah. So you can go to heatheravis.com. Everything's there. If you want to do a heatheravis.com slash different, it'll take you straight to the book page for different. Um, you can order wherever you order books from. And on Instagram, if you want to follow our little journey, we are the lucky few official. Love it. Heather, Heather Avis, thank you so much for your time today, your story, and for coming on the Storybox podcast. Yeah, what an honor. Thank you so much for the conversation. It's been great. I really don't like this part because it means that sadly we have come to an end of yet another story. I just want to say thank you to all of you for tuning in and listening to our guest today. It is my prayer that you would have felt inspired, motivated, challenged in some way, and that you would have learned something new as well. If you would like to hear more amazing stories like this one, you can do so now by searching up the story box on all podcast platforms. It is that easy. And if you did get something from today's guest, please do share it around with your friend or family member who you feel could benefit from hearing today's story. And before you go, I greatly appreciate it if you could spend 30 seconds leaving a rating review over on Apple Podcasts. It goes a long way to reaching more people and building this community of the Storybox. Let's start changing lives through powerful stories like this one you heard today. Your support is always greatly appreciated. Until next time, when we dive back into the Storybox, I'm Jay Phantom, and don't forget, your story is worth more than you know. I'll catch you then. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum.